Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Red Army podcast. And tonight we prepare for our first Interpro of the season. Last week, Munster swept aside the Dragons down in Musgrave. But on Friday night, that opening Interpro, a trip to Ravenhill to take on Ulster, who were coming off the loss of an Interpro loss of their own. The Red Hand podcast host Peter Lockhart will join me in a couple of minutes, but for the time being, I'll be flying this plane solo to look back on Munster's win over the Dragons. And for those for those that didn't catch it, Munster, comfortable seven try winners. Um in the end, two tries from Calvin Nash, who was player of the match on the night, and one each for Roy Scallon, Gavin Coombs, Thomas Ahern, Craig Gacy, and Brian Gleason helping the home side to Victory and it, it was one of those games that a lot of people would have predicted Munster to win, to win heavily, to put on a big score. But it probably is testament to the Dragons that it was a little bit tighter. It was what seventeen seven at halftime, and I think Munster will be relatively happy with um with how the game unfolded. It wasn't perfect, not by any means, but they played some really nice rugby. Looked. Just a, a step, of, a couple of steps above what they did a week prior against Benetton, with the likes of Craig Casey impressing. But it is a good week for the team, and it's important to note as well that with these games, you, I suppose, you have an instance where people are just going to say, "Ah, well, it's only the Dragons or or whatnot." But to get seven tries, to get a bonus point, to keep the unbeaten run going, to to win, I suppose. To get a momentum boosting win in in Cork, it's been a lot of um, bonus point wins in Cork over the years. But just quite an impressive showing in my performance, and I'm supposed to have um, a couple of guests join me this week. But schedule sitting in line, so just myself to talk about this one. But one of the things I had written down was just this free flowing Harlem Globetrotters barbarian style rugby that Munster showed at times. Whenever Calvin Nash came off the wing, you felt like something was going to happen. Um, I think he met over 150 meters or something in, in carrying, which for a winger who didn't really have much ball kicked at him is really, really impressive. And we'll touch on him a little bit later. But the offloading looked a little bit crisper, passing looked a little bit crisper. And again, it's just getting reps and getting minutes into guys and like it's easy to remember like it or to forget it is only round three three of the season very few teams come out of the blocks firing and looking really really good it, it's it's borderline impossible to do that but Munster will be will be very happy with that and as well as that it's it's an extremely young team that Munster fielded the last day I have it here in my notes it was a Munster team with an average age of just 24.4 years. And that drops to 23.5 or 23.6 years of age on average when you take out Stephen Archer and John Ryan, who are 35 years of age or, or whatnot. And that's something of itself because we've seen Munster in, in years gone by, opening rounds of the season, they'd have an awful lot of you know old reliable faces in their squads. But then you look at last week, or yeah, last weekend. And yes, I understand that it was the Dragons, but you also had Kieran Ryan still in the academy. Edwin Adogbo, he's only 20. Thomas Hearn is 22, 23. Alex Kendellan, he's only 22. Craig Casey, experienced at this stage, still young. Tony Butler, 
He's only 21. He's still in the academy. You had Alex Nankerville's a new signing. Sean O'Brien's a new signing. You had Scott Buckley not long out of the academy. Mark Donnelly's still in it. Ruan Quinn and Brian Gleeson were both playing under 20s last year. And Ben O'Connor, the, the young Cork hurler turned rugby player, he made his debut on the night. And he's, you know, only 19, did his leave insert last year, first year at the academy. And this this is what you want to see from Munster in in so many ways. You want to see a lot of guys getting minutes, a lot of young guys getting a chance to put, not just put their hands up, but to show that the pathways and the progression planning is is already there. I think that's something that Wig did really well last year where when the chips were down, he was still backing the you know, Paddy Patterson isn't the youngest, but he was pushing for European spots. He got in ahead of Conor Murray for one game. Um you had the likes of obviously Jack Crowley. He he burst the door down to get the starting number ten jersey. Um, obviously, Calvin Nash and Shane Daly were our starting wingers all season. You had the likes of Edwin Adogbo uh, broke onto the scene last year. John Hoddett and Alex Kandelan kind of rotated the number seven jersey, both of which, you know, quite young in, in age. And that's the direction that Munster are looking to go in. They're, they're, they understand that there's this incredibly talented player pool ready and waiting to go. That's... We've seen it the last day. We've seen with um, Craig Casey's try in particular, you know, a dog bow and a hern, brilliant handling skills, two brilliant offloads. Craig Casey goes in from there. And that's, it makes you stand up out of your seat because, yeah, Munster always had it in them to have one or two performances. But the fact that, and we've touched on the two second was so much in recent weeks, the fact that it's two second was playing like an okay name and playing like, world beaters and I understand again people say well the opposition wasn't great but they're playing like guys who have a very high potential who were starting to fulfill that Thomas Hearn physically looks looks dominant now it was probably something that he, he didn't always look as big Um, I think I mentioned in the, in the in the press conference during the week he just looks bigger bulkier looks a good size for for his height and he's he looks like a lad who knows how to use it as well. Edwin Adogbo, the same. Like It's it's so often a, a case when you see young lads bursting through, not just in Ireland, but the world over, and they're big and they're strong upper body, and they try to bully everyone by running straight over them, straight down the centre of someone. But these guys, they're running at soft shoulders. They're making offloads. They're, you know, doing the, not the unseen, but the, the, the less seen work of, of the strong breakdown clearances Thomas Aaron was, was calling lineouts. That's, yes, it's only the Dragons, but this is the first start of Aaron and a dog ball, and it still feels like this is the first start of Manny. When Snaim and Byrne, Klein come back in, we'll see how the squad shapes up. I believe Ty Byrne moved to six this year. That's that's my belief. Um, although, Orca Snaim's injury is going to affect things a little bit. They're putting their hands up and they're saying, right, you know, guys like Finney and Witcherly, guys like Jack O'Donoghue, um, even one of Hodnett or Kandelan, you know, we want to take their spots in the match day 23. Even if we go 6-2, maybe Munster will go 7-1 and maybe they'll get around it that way. And if they do, more power to them will be absolutely hilarious. Um, but really impressed with those 
Calvin Nash, who I mentioned as well, every time he touched the ball, he looked like he was going to do something. He looked sharp. He looked aggressive through contact. And he just picked such brilliant lines. Like the the try they he scored from distance was, was just, again, like we've seen it so many times last year, coming in off his wing, accelerating through the midfield. And there was a lovely little tip-on pass. I think it was from Nankoville in the build-up to that one. His second try was a deft little grubber kick from, from Jack Crowley, which Calvin finishes. And listen, he might be ruled out this week. Reading the tea leaves and, and nothing more um positive than that, I, I would be positive because we heard the likes of um Shane Daly, Sean O'Brien, Glass like this saying, oh yeah, he'll be fine. You know, you just hope that it's, that it's nothing too serious. And even when he's been assessed during the week, you hope it's it's nothing too serious in that regard. And the other one I want to mention is Tony Butler. He was thrown in first start for Munster on his second or third appearance for the province. Young lad from from Clare, um, and he looked so good. He's it's funny you watch him at the weekend and you wonder how did Charlie Jackter start basically every game ahead of this guy. But you know that's no slight on Jackter. He's a very good player, but Butler just looks very pro ready. I, I do think Munster will try and manage his minutes and whatnot, but he looks extremely pro-ready. And the 10 scenario now with Joey Carberry's injury is, is going to be worth noting. But I would imagine that, you know, they'll try and mix things up. They'll maybe go with Fraser Scanlon in a game or two at 10. Butler, obviously Jack Crowley will be there and they'll, they'll just try and get by. And, you know, hopefully they do get by in in that and I, I think they'll they'll be fine. I'm going to take a quick break now and when we come back we will have a preview to the Ulster game. Welcome back to the second half of tonight's episode. Peter Lockhart of the Red Hand podcast is going to join me very very shortly but firstly as I always say the boring stuff has to be got out of the way that is the, the administrative side of the squad update. So in positive news I suppose you can say Tyg Byrne, Dave Kilcoyne, Jeremy Luckman, Conor Murray and Peter O'Mahony have rejoined Munster squad training following their World Cup involvement with Ireland. Calvin Nash, and this is where we move into the slightly unfortunate stuff, Calvin Nash was withdrawn with knee injury on Saturday night in Musgrave and will be assessed. His availability is to be determined as the week progresses. We're at Wednesday now, we haven't heard, but he may be in the team sheet by the time you listen to this. The big news of the week is that Orke Snayman suffered a chest-shoulder injury during the World Cup final and will undergo surgery in South Africa this week. I believe that's Friday, I think Graham Roundtree is quoted as saying. And he's going to be out for a matter of months, not weeks, which is a cruel blow. But we'll always have May with with Orge lifting the, the URC trophy that is half the size of him and he's a big man. Simon Zebo and Josh Witchley are back in full training this week and are available for selection. In the AIL, there were seven Munster players who featured this week in Keenan Knox, Daniel Okeke, Neil Cronin, Jack Daly, Jack Oliver, George Haddon and Jack O'Sullivan. And finally, in the medium to long term, continuing to rehab list of injuries, we have Patrick Campbell, Ron Sanlo, Mike Haley, Keen Hurley, all still there. And recently added to it is Niall Scannell and Andrew Conway, so hopefully those two aren't out for too long. We'll move on to the Ulster game this weekend, as we said. Friday night Interpro, Munster's first Interpro of the season, 
and with me to look ahead to it is the Red Hand Podcast host, Peter Lockhart. So welcome on, Peter. Thanks, Killen. Always uh, always good to come on. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on. Just first and foremost, everyone, this away clash in Ravenhill will take place at 7.35 on Friday night. It'll be broadcast live on RT2, BBC2 Northern Ireland, Premier Sports, Fireplace Sports, URC TV, or wherever you get your URC broadcast. And that list just seems to get longer and longer every week with more broadcasters, it feels like. Uh, Peter, Ulster started with two scrappy wins before their defeat to Connacht um, last Saturday night. So what have you made to the start of the season so far? Yeah, I think, uh, as you say, we had Zebra away. That was our first game in the season. I'd watched the pre-season for Ulster as much as I could, anything that was televised, you know, and um, we we had a pretty disappointing (laughs) pre-season. We uh, lost all our games pre-season. Now, few players out, obviously rotated players, the nature of a pre-season sort of fixtures to, to have a go, try new combinations, get guys fit. Um, results ultimately arguably don't matter that much. Uh, I, I have to say I prefer to see Ulster win in their pre-seasons. Just gives me a wee bit of confidence. It's not, in fact, they didn't they didn't lose all their pre-season games, but we had, uh, I think, four and, you know, we lost three of those. So in terms of um, how that went, it didn't bode well for the start of the season. And sure enough, uh, we didn't exactly hit the ground running. Um, so Zebra are a team that everyone beats. They don't win any games, generally speaking, not being harsh on them. We were talking before recording there. They're looking a wee bit better this season and they've run a couple of teams pretty close, including Ulster. Um, Zebra very much on Ulster's line at the very end, at the death, do you know, and the... It was just, but for a knock on after a tap penalty, it could have been different than we could have lost against Zebra. It was playing away and we had a big injury list. Whatever they've been doing pre-season, a lot of guys ruled out. Of course, a few guys out with the World Cup and weren't available, but even still, a lot of guys out. Um, but Zebra, we just nothing clicked um, against them. Our attack wasn't there. Defence at times, fortunately from both teams, was was terrible. So it meant that um, it meant that it was pretty high score, and it ended up 40-36. As I say, everyone breathed a, a sigh of relief at the end whenever they took a quick tap. When they could have gone for the corner and probably mauled over, but look, we escaped with a win. Um, we had Bulls at home. Uh, and we won, and like it was two two wins from two. Uh, confidence was starting to build. Bulls at home. It wasn't a perfect performance, far from polished. But um, again, like incremental improvement on the zebra game. Um, Bulls are a good, strong team. We looked a lot better. We're playing on our new plastic pitch. Um, I'll set that aside for a moment. But um, like we, we looked a bit a bit better. Things were clicking a wee bit more. But look, I just. Maybe not where I want to be. You know, you want to you want to really hit the ground running in these first few games, and we got the win. And then Connacht, obviously at the weekend, there looked a lot more positive for us. We we lost, uh, unfortunately. That's a, a fairly important thing to point out. But we had a seventeen point lead in that game, so went in at half time. I think it was twenty points to three. The Ulster had a had a pretty good start. I think. Um, to everyone's surprise, considering we sent down what was effectively a B team a few 
few frontliners in there, but um, really mixed it up. And uh, I think there was some some worry that the the guys going down would be treated like cannon fodder, and they they go down the uh, the sports ground, the gaffs annihilated. But look, it did very well in fairness to them. And um, a few guys put their hands up for selection. A few good young players, in particular, um, really stood out. Um, there, there's we'll talk about this in a moment, I'm sure, but. Um, there's some uh, concern about the likes of tight head prop or uh, how will Flannery get on at 10 um, and uh, our back three as well and uh, how that would all gel and look it went it went better than expected we got a, a losing bonus point which um, I think most fans are pretty happy with um, so look without going into any more detail I think it's been a mixed bag of a, of, of a uh, the 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 start to our campaign. Um, plenty of room for improvement. Um, there's a lot of guys out. Uh, trying to remember how many. I think at one stage there's 19 out. We we had a few more injuries there the weekend as well. It's just to compound things. Um, but the good news is there's a lot of guys ready to come back in. We don't have the the biggest contingent of Ireland players, but the, the few that we do have are pretty central for us. Likes of Ian Henderson, Herring, and McCloskey to come back in. Uh, O'Toole, unfortunately, who came back in is again out injured. So um, that's the nature of it. You can expect your, I suppose, in rugby, expect about a third of your playing squad to be out at any given time. More than that, out at the minute, but um, uh, I, I think. Like the, the, in some ways, it forces McFarland's hand. I think the criticism at times last season was he wasn't rotating enough. Now he's been forced to, and maybe that's actually worked out quite well for us. And in that, it's given a few guys a chance to stick their hands up. So, like mixed bag so far. Yeah, certainly a mixed bag. And you know, I I tuned into to their games as well, and it was just up and down. I think you you'd agree, and and most Ulster fans would agree, and. Like the fact that they went to Zebra and scored what forty points, but needed a last second knock on to win the game is just not very much like them. And mm. we'll probably get back into the squad in a minute because one thing that I want to talk about was kind of the coaching ticket. There's been a bit of pressure, a bit of criticism. I'll hold my hand up. Some of the criticism of the Ulster coaching staff on your podcast has been by me, so I won't. <laughs> I won't act like I'm not. I'm, you know. I'm not the one man band, but I'm not the only one. Um, but it, it feels like defensively in particular, it, they've had times where they just look porous. Um, when James Hume went off the last hit, that was one example. And just the general, you know, sl- uh, sloppy into last season. So yeah. what do you expect from, I suppose, this season with the Ulster's coaching staff? But do you think they, they need to kick on and, and show something else after what was kind of disappointing last year. Yeah, look, I think last season was tough um, for Ulster. Uh, Dan McFarland got a contract extension. Um, uh, he's he's now our longest serving uh, coach in the professional era. So he's been here since 20, uh, 2018. He came in um, as head coach. But look, in terms of the coaching ticket, it's changed a bit, and we've seen that's the nature of professional sport. People move on, um, and we lost a couple of really good coaches. Um, I think. Sorry, I don't want to give the whole history of Ulster, Ulster rugby, but I think it's important to trace back potentially where things changed. Not necessarily went wrong, but where things changed, and you can sort of pinpoint 
Jared Payne leaving Ulster as massive. He he was instrumental, um, both as a player for us and and then as a coach. And he left. I think it was um, it, it was a bit of a weird one because it he didn't go on to to a head coach role or something like that. He, I think he went to Scarlets as a uh, attack coach or went something. To Claremont first was sorry, Claremont. You're entirely right. He went to Claremont first, and he's ended up with Scarlets. So, like, good good jobs, but not. <laughs> I I would like to think you know you could stay at the the club he was playing at there's something going on there in the background um and it was a real shame to to lose him um johnny bell exulster center came in um i think he's a well liked guy do you know i think he gets gets on really well with the squad and stuff like that our defense maybe just hasn't clicked in the way that we'd like at times um we have been porous um and I, I can I can sort of see what we're trying to do, but we're not necessarily executing it at the minute um, with him. So, uh, in terms of and, and the other one, of course, Dwayne Pale left as well. So he he went to join it was at Cardiff. Um, that was a couple of years, a couple of seasons ago now. He's, Dwayne Pale that's Scarlet now, though, isn't? He? Yeah, yeah. Did he? So he he might have moved on. That's right. So I think he, um. Anyway, look, he left Ulster in 2021, season, 22 that season, and he's um, he he was really instrumental as well. So it's it's Dan Super now he's the attack coach, and, and look, that element of the game hasn't necessarily clicked. Uh, everyone goes on about Ulster's class backs, and we do have them. There's so many talented players there. You know, guys who we would have expected, I think Ulster fans would have expected to see playing for Ireland, like James Hume um, and uh, Mike Lowry. And those guys, in fairness, they have, but you, you sort of thought they would have been in the reckoning for the World Cup squad, but they haven't kicked on. Um, the likes of Balakoon, um, Stockdale as well. Like, packed with talent, but just none of these guys have progressed. I think that's the job of a head coach. And uh, moving on to t- talk about McFarland a wee bit and the pressure he's experienced. I think look, the, the loss to Connacht uh, last season um, in, the, in the final, our final involvement of the season, that that was a real uh, wake-up call. Do you know who who's accountable here? If, if, if we underperform to that extent, um, <laughs> is nothing going to happen? Is nothing going to change? Um, now, Dan McFarland came in at a good time. He was the man for the moment in 2018. Ulster had been through a really difficult time. Um, there was the 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 whole trial, uh, and we'll not we'll not go over over all of that. But um, we're involving a couple of Ulster players, and we're in disarray. Dan McFarland came in, steadied the ship. He's a, he's a strong leader. There's no doubt about that. Um, came in at real positive atmosphere. The whole fight for every inch mentality worked really well, growing towards something building. There's only so many seasons you can build for, though. Um, and then at a certain point, like any business, and I suppose Australia Bay is increasingly run, you know, it's increasingly corporate, commercial sort of um, uh, sort of atmosphere around the place, um, you need accountability you need results and you need targets if you don't meet your targets there has to be consequences for that now in terms of um dan great technical coach maybe not the best man manager um maybe not the most personable person 
we've seen, as I say, those guys leaving as coaches. We've seen players leave or take early retirement, um, which is all all pretty pretty interesting, pretty telling. Um, so I think, um, and it was Stephen Ferris who's who's pretty vocal on the subject. He basically said, "There's an interesting article." He says, "Heads will have to roll if performances don't improve this season." Um, we've splashed a lot of cash in this new artificial surface at the Kingspan or Ravenhill, as I prefer to call it, um, to uh, to the detriment of potentially improving the squad or there doesn't seem to be a budget there. And we'll talk about that in a second, but um, that's a big gamble. And you need to, we need to see some sign of improvement this year, this season, I don't think Dan McFarland will be sacked. I don't think we can afford to do that. I think it isn't professional football. We're not in the Premier League. You can't be affording to pay out people's contract. Um, so like was was that contract extension premature, potentially? Um, but like we're here, we're with Dan at the minute. We'll back the squad, of course, as also as an Ulster fan, we'll back the squad, but don't necessarily have to agree with the way the club is run and the decisions that are made. And certainly uh, I think Dan McFarlane runs the show in there. Um, I think he has uh, a lot of control, uh, 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 as most head coaches do, but I think it's 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 next level. Um, and that's just the impression that I get. So look, you could see changes at the end of this season. Um, if, if we don't improve, um, you could see changes in the coaching staff and you could see uh, changes in the higher-ups at Ulster Rugby as well. So w- watch this space. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned you know the the commercial and the money side of things because it's always thrown out about the Irish teams are rich. No, this Irish team is rich. No, this side is money, and it's always that kind of yeah. that fan bicker and war that that we get. But it's still like Ulster made a loss last year and yeah. also didn't make a lot of signings. Granted, they signed Stephen Kitts off, <laughs> so <laughs> there is that. Yeah. But yeah, you you do have to look at these things and say, well. You know, is is there a a budgetary element to their lack of signings? For instance, we we don't have we don't know. I understand Ulster being you know based in Belfast and in the UK, they have to publish their reports. I've absolutely no idea what any of them means. I'll um, land <laughs> up to that. But if that's an element, then that has to be looked at as well. And yeah. as you say, coach and staff, you know, be a tactical signing players, etc. They haven't had a lot of new signings so. Probably not a lot to talk about here, but in terms of the squad makeup, it is pretty much the same as last year. It feels like, like it's is, lar- it, do largely, we see any changes really into lar- the twenty three? Yeah, I suppose largely similar, minus quite quite a few players. Um, with, with as you say, two big signings, Stephen Kitsoff, he's bound to be expensive. So it's all your eggs in one basket. I always enjoy saying like I want world class players at Ulster Rugby. There's always the argument. Why? Why are we? Why are we getting in? I mean, this this argument has gone back for many years since. Well, since sort of guys started coming in to Ulster from abroad. But I'm not precious about. I want to see local players develop. Of course, that's absolutely true. You want you want your homegrown guys. It shows a, a healthy club. You don't want to just blow all your money in some big name. But you need to supplement if you want to compete in the upper echelons of Europe, you need to supplement that with two, three 
world-class players. If you're going to bring in non-Irish qualified players, they need to be worth your while in terms of financially and the investment that you put into them. Uh, we did that with back in the day, whenever we were an amazing team. We had Pinar, we had uh, Muller, we had um, uh, even Stefan Terblanche and um, uh, uh, Vandenberg, all those guys and Afua, um, all those guys came in. Now, that might not, not be possible, um anymore and and for for a good reason i suppose you you, you don't want to go overboard with it now Stephen Kitsoff, big gamble 32 years old um fantastic signing i i, I do think he's a risk if he gets injured uh, you you know all about it with Snyman. I I absolutely got it. You know for for Snyman, got it for Munster because I want to see him play more. I just think he's such a good player to watch, and I love I love guys like that who are world class players coming playing in the URC, playing for provinces, and really raising everyone's everyone else's level and supplementing the squads. I don't think those guys, if you make the right signs, don't hold people back. They actually inspire. They bring people on. They teach the young guys. You only aspire to be like them. Um, and so, as I say, sorry, I not spend too much time in kits off, but really good signing. Excite, excited to see him. World class. No no argument there. Dave Ewers, great signing. Exactly what we need. We lost Dwayne Vermeulen, who um, is somewhat divided opinion last year. I thought whenever Katsia left, I thought, look, we'll never replace him. In fairness, we didn't. But you can't argue with signing a world-class number eight um, like Dwayne Vermeulen. He did a good job for us. He didn't do what Katsia does. Um, anyone who expected him to hadn't watched that much of, of Vermeulen in recent years. He's not that type of player. Um, albeit he was at times fairly destructive with ball in hand at the World Cup. But um, he offers you something different. Now we have Dave Ewers, which is, which is maybe a bit more what we needed, a wee bit more what Katsia offered us. A really um, combative player, both in attack and defence. Um, uh, devastating ball carrier at his best. Um, in terms of what what people sort of say about Dave Yours, you know, he's um, for for Exeter. You know, he was a, a real fixture of the team, uh, very dependable, and someone um, that yeah, you, you people just loved them at Exeter, which is always a great sign. You know, I think uh, he's he's a really smart signing. Apart from that, not a huge number of changes. Some sort of academy guys coming into the squad that we'll see more of. We didn't really see Dave McCann, uh, sort of under twenties captain back in the day. Really good player. If you haven't watched all through this season, keep an eye. Remember the name, Dave McCann. He's the sort of guy who go on easily to play for for Ireland quite quite a number of times. Maybe slightly in the mould of. Uh, I suppose um, uh, Chris Henry, someone like that, um, maybe uh, a, just a, a a really solid back row player in in at the breakdown. We saw him last week, even against uh, at the weekend there, getting in, causing difficulty, slowing the ball down, making people think, making the opposition uh, think carefully about how many men they commit to their own rucks and securing the ball. Um, Love love watching Dave McCann. Other other guys coming through. Um, Harry Sheridan. Uh, we saw him make a few cameos last season. We'll see a lot more of him again. Keep an eye out for him. Um, and beyond that, you know, there's not a huge number of of other guys. Uh, Jude Postlewaite. Um, 
uh, is a centre. Um, he's 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 still pretty young. He's twenty two. He's uh, he's coming through as well. Think someone in the mould of I'd say you know, this is high praise, but think someone somewhere between Hume and McCloskey. He's absolutely he's big. He's a big powerful centre, and he he would complement uh, either of those guys. You know, playing outside or inside centre. Um, in terms in terms of squad makeup, um, the 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 position that we're struggling with uh, is is tight head prop at the minute. Uh, Marty Moore's out. Marty Moore's massive for us. Um, Tom O'Toole is out now as well. So we're down there, third and fourth choice uh, tight head. James French has come in. Who's a name I know Munster fans will be familiar with. And it did, albeit he didn't play that much for Munster, but um, it did pretty well at the weekend there. But we are really light and we're also light at about half as well. So if... Um, if uh, Flannery or Burns gets injured, we're we're struggling a wee bit there. You're talking Mike Lowry or potentially Angus Curtis or or Nathan Duke stepping in. So those are the main areas we're lacking in. But um, uh, we saw quite a number of players retire or move on last season. Um, so it's changed it changed the dynamic a wee bit. But hopefully, hopefully those young guys um put their hands up for and 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 show that they're good enough this season. Absolutely, and we had uh, with Jamie Phillips, uh, Dragons fan, on last week, and he didn't give us as extensive into um, Dragons issues and squad problems as yourself, Peter. So probably pinch of salt for people at home. He's not Peter isn't saying that Ulster's squad is is terrible or magnificent. It's just you know an assessment. I think is the proper way of of looking over it. Yeah, <laughs> moving yeah. on then to Friday because. Oh, oh, like the fact that we record on Wednesday means most people will, by the time they hear this, the squad squads will probably be named. But having watched what you have been able to watch of of both teams, what way do you do you see it unfolding? Like what where can Ulster, in your mind, get at Munster and and vice versa? Yeah, I think it'll be an interesting one. Our lineout didn't function all that well, and our lineout. The past, particularly last season, was our most potent attacking weapon. Uh, if Munster can get in and disrupt that, um, then they take away a massive part of our game, and it'll obviously be out to do that. There's no doubt. Um, in terms of um, other weaknesses, I suppose we play a very uh, th- th- we attempt to play a fast brand of rugby, particularly at home. Uh, arguably, I don't buy this particularly, but the reason for the plastic pitch is to encourage that. Um, and uh, if Munster want to get an Ulster, they will attempt to slow the ball down, frustrate, um, uh, commit numbers of rocks at the appropriate time. And if they do that and they're clever about it and they even slow us down, um, we've, uh, I think, you know, we'll struggle. We actually did pretty well from broken play um, against Connacht. You maybe get um, even kick returns or line breaks and uh, things like that. Those are much harder to do if you can slow down, wrap around, get your defence sorted. Um, and uh, that's that's where Munster, I think, will target Ulster. Just slowing down, disrupting their game. Um and like in terms of uh, in terms of Munster, uh, like you've uh, I I've seen bits and pieces of Munster this season, but um, in terms of their weaknesses, they have a lot of guys coming back. And you mentioned you mentioned that um, 
they'll they'll go all gun. This is a big interprovincial game. They'll go all, all guns blazing against Ulster, as as will we. We'll get the likes of Mc, hopefully McCloskey. Trying to think of the the guys coming back in. Um, yeah, the, 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 and, and Herring are the. Uh, Exactly, Henderson, Heron. Those guys will be massive. The likes of Ian Henderson, part of our issue, I suppose, against Connor was maybe that wee bit of lack in leadership. Um, you need someone who'll steady the ship, maybe put in a couple of ins- inspirational carries or tackles. Hendy's your man for that. McCloskey defensively is fantastic as well. Rob Heron will do such a steady pair of hands. Uh, you'd really trust Rob Heron to nail his line out nine times out of ten and contribute around the pitch as well. Those guys are massive. In terms of our wingers, we potentially have Balakou and Stockdale coming back in. Those guys, um, on their day, have the X factor, which sometimes we lack. We certainly maybe lacked it a wee bit against Connett, or back three. We're competent and capable in some ways, but you need that extra level, and that's what those guys give you. So, Damifar, in some ways, was quite clever, we could have actually nicked the win against Connacht. We rested those players targeting this game, and now the big guns are coming back in. I don't know if you want me to make a prediction now or after, but um, you can, you can hold off for a few minutes if you, if you want. If it's <laughs> it's not it's not particularly sensational. You know, I'm going to say Ulster will win, but <laughs> in in terms of the actual atmosphere at the King Span this season. Number one, around the squad, probably a split camp in terms of the fan base. Some very positive. We've won a couple of games, nearly beat Connacht, glass half full brigade, very positive. Then you've got uh, the other half who say, like, we could have lost all of our games potentially so far. Do you know, we're pretty close, even in the ones we won, whatever. You'll always get people who are negative. My concern is that the King Span is no longer that intimidating place to come to. Um, Ravenhill back in the day was a hostile environment. Um, even even the plastic pitch, you know, I, I like a broken record. I don't like the plastic pitch. I like I I I just think a cold uh, November night at King Span, uh, muddy night where we can take control of the game. Munster would rather be anywhere else in the world than at the Kingspan. That's what you want to create. You want that hostility um, and you want that vibe, uh, you know, for home games. It needs to be a fortress. Um, and I'm not blaming that completely in the plastic pitch, but the atmosphere in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the ground isn't even that good anymore. I don't know the reasons for that, but um, we maybe, we maybe lack a wee bit of that. We're um, in terms of sort of, uh, making it a real hostile place. I'm not advocating sort of abuse. I'm, I'm more sort of you want you want to get on top. You, you want to feel claustrophobic. You want to have that um, real buzz around the place. Um, and maybe as the season goes on, I think there's that wee post World Cup slump where people have watched so much rugby and maybe it's harder to get people to games. Now I think we'll have a really good attendance for this. Kingspan always has a good turnout, but we just need to make more noise because. Uh, it's those wee percentages will get us over the line in tough games like this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something I mentioned on, on your pod this week, just the fact that it is a 4G pitch and there has been talk about atmosphere and in an Interpro. Like even just watching an Interpro on an artificial pitch won't feel the same when you just associate it with being down and dirty and niggly. I understand your game against Connacht last week was everything like that. 
on an artificial surface. I understand mm. that, of course. But for Ravenhill, it is part of the the mystique is yeah. the fact that you were going to have to, you know, dig deep, um, both mentally and literally, if you're going if you're going to win there, yeah. And maybe it is something that'll favor away sides. Granted, Munster are a great attacking team, but maybe it is. Maybe there is something in that, and the fact that Ulster are getting used to this new feel of of a pitch, for instance, like it is only their second second game on. I don't think they play preseason there. Like, no, that's right. They're getting it. They're, they're getting it ready. We played it at a in Calvin, um on the on the uh, the pitch there. It's the it's also Kingspan Stadium, but it's not coincidentally. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, we've had a, had a game on it, and like um, I don't know how much it affects the way we play. It's probably a nice enough surface. My concern, you know, is over injuries, and and also I just think maybe I'm a traditionalist, but uh, rugby is best played on grass. That all that unpredictability, the muddiness. If it's been if it's been pissing down the rain, you want that. Do you know it's the elements? It's the battle with the elements, and that's part of rugby, and it's sort of. In some ways, it's unique. Just this sort of mud bath, real hard slog forward battle. Love all that, you know. Particularly, you know, Munster are well used to that because <laughs> because they're an Irish team. But I love sort of uh, French teams or uh, South African teams coming up, and they just don't know what's at them playing and and uh, mud bath and Belfast, and uh, I'll miss that. I have to say, and uh, yeah, but. I'm old school, I suppose. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Like I still remember <laughs> a weird memory of when Munster played this before the the Tolman Park pitch was was done up there two years ago. Munster played Exeter in I think it was like 2018, 2019, something like yeah. that. And towards the end of the game, a player was actually dragged over the sideline, and just that you know January mud and slipperiness, <laughs> and it's like. Yeah, I like that. Now the pitch is in pristine condition. It still has a bit of that, but yeah. pitch, pitch talk isn't for everyone. But it is, it is for the old fashioned fan, the the old hardcore fans like us, and some yeah. people are interested. I'm sure they're probably monster fans who, <laughs> you know, look at Musgrave Park and wish it was still, you know, still grass. For instance, yeah, yeah absolutely. It is going to be a factor in this game because of the fact that, as we said, monster do like to play that expansive game. Seen it last week. Probably a great run out for Munster in terms of, you know, just getting getting onto that surface. It was something when these surfaces were new that teams took a while to adjust to. But yeah, coincidentally, Munster did their Wednesday training session in Tolman Park this week. So maybe maybe there's nothing to it after all. You know, maybe we do read too much into yeah. these things. <laughs> From probably a Munster perspective for a minute, I do think, you know, as you mentioned, Ulster set piece being a bit of a weakness. Um probably a pack that can that can be got at that can be bullied at times it's probably been when Ulster have had their least effective performances it's probably been when they've just been just been squashed and just you know squashed within an inch of their lives you think of mm. you know the the Connacht game at the quarterfinal the Leinster game in, in Europe last year for instance but then like is the Munster pack going to do that not sure they will you know it's going to be about as you said slowing them down in a different way. It's going to be, you know, if Ty Byrne and Peter Armani are back, mm. it's not necessarily going to be about bullying the David McCanns in the world. What's going to be about stopping him from getting breakdown turnovers. I think he two or three the last day and maybe nicking one of your own and 
and you know that's always the breakdown is always a huge part of the game for instance but that's certainly one and sticking to our, our own game plan is important it's something Wig has mentioned so often is you know we, we didn't put in this system just to change it every week essentially you know they they play this way they play high intensity rugby they have high ball and play time you know reliant on skill and fitness for a reason and probably the fifth episode in a row that I mentioned this but you go back to when they beat Leinster last year having to go to the well in the 78th minute to go the whole way down the field to get a score doing in the URC final it's probably something that has been thrown at Ulster though what the flip side is you know they've had games where they've kind of faded away last weekend was a good example granted there was injuries there was three separate players went off for a HIA but would you be worried in the fact that Ulster have kind of slipped in and out of games at times, especially now when you're taking on, you know, URC champions, a proper opponent, no disrespect to, you know, the Bulls who are a very good team, to Connacht who are a very good team, but a different kettle of fish compared to, for instance, Zebra two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, I, I think like there seems to be a bit of a mental block which started around sort of last Christmas time. Uh, there is, or sort of just before Christmas and then Munster beat us on New Year's Day, I think it was, um, at home. Um, and look, that's been a, that's been an issue for us. Whatever's going on, with this sports psychologist brought in uh, over the summer, and uh, I hope he's done some good work in that regard because we have sort of, despite not playing all that well, arguably against well, certainly against Zebra, and played a lot better against the Bulls, but we held on to that one. And, um, we withstood, uh, in fairness to Ulster, really withstood quite a battering in the in, in the the last sort of. 10 minutes against the Bulls and against Zebra. So they, they can hold on. That's improving. Um, our defence at times has been, at times has been really good. As you rightly point out, though, we let that lead slip against Connacht. So it's still, still have the capacity and the tendency to do that. And sometimes that is a case of having a, a young team. I think the average age of that team on, uh, uh, on Saturday was like 23 or something. It was, it was really young. Sometimes whenever you're facing guys like Peter O'Malley, Tagburn, even like D- Dave Kilcoyne or Connor Murray or whoever, all those guys back from Ireland, they have been there and done it. Um, and you're up against the likes of great talented players like Dave McCann, Harry Sheridan, um, uh, and I suppose uh, other young guys in our backs as well. Just sometimes maybe that lack of experience and maybe not having having not had to concentrate um, at this level of rugby. Um, for, for, you know, for all the, the many games that the, their monster equivalents have. Saying that we do have a few guys back in. We keep we keep those those guys um, in the team that would like to see. Dave McCann start. This will be a really t- big test if they come up against the guys they're aspiring to be like. Uh, and all those guys, all those young Ulster guys should be looking at the likes of Tag Byrne and Peter O'Mahony or um, even for, for Nathan Doak, he should be looking at Conor Murray and going, like, I want to be. He was number one scrum half in the, in the world for a period. And I'm not saying they need to, need to be admiring them or putting up 
posters of, of them on their wall, but I'm saying like these are the guys, if you want to measure up against these guys, or if you can measure up against them, you're doing all right. Um, so, and part of that is concentration. It's intensity for 80 minutes um, and and not letting that concentration slip, which we have done at times defensively and a um, couple of couple of just silly decisions in attack as well. We saw that against Connett where just uh, even a simple pass would have done the trick, but we tried something a bit too much. And um, yeah, so I think you're right. I think it's a fair point. I think um, we have we still have that tendency um, but time will tell whether we can iron that out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it's a, it's a question that's been thrown around before. And you know, when you mentioned, I thought of the the Leinster game in in the Aviva Stadium last year, where it did look like an Ulster team who played within themselves, like they didn't have the confidence to beat Leinster, even though they'd done it twice the year before. They played like a team who didn't know that you know they could take on a Kalen Doris a mm. Um, Gibson Park, Keenan, Ringrose take on these guys and beat these guys, and yeah, that, of course players don't actually think that. But when when that impression is coming across when you watch a team, there's usually a sign of them not being at a hundred percent mentally, mm-hmm. and maybe that'll that'll change, especially when you know they're back at home now for an interpro, a second in two weeks. They kind of have to get a win. They have to get a performance. They probably have to get a win, um, this week and. To their credit, the likes of Rob Herring, Stuart Murkowski, Ian Henderson have probably been the three best leaders in Ulster of the last half decade to a decade. You know, Absolutely. So yeah. Those guys are going to lead by example. And like I prefer if Stuart Murkowski wasn't back, for instance, of, of all of them, um, because I feel like Ulster are a miles better team with him in the squad, but they will be back. But we'll move into predictions then because you know I, I said it last night to yourself. Monster lose an awful lot up in Ravenhill. It's it seems to be an ever present case. But how do you see it going? Yeah, look, I think um, of course as an as an Ulster fan, I try and be as, as not biased as possible. But it's, it's impossible for me because I, I do go in and hope I'm not overly negative at times. I, I try and be realistic about Ulster and 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 try and give a balanced view. But I do think I do think we'll win. Um, I think we've been targeting this game. I anticipate we'll win. It'll be fairly narrow. I think we might win by sort of three to five points, sort of arbitrary number of points there, but by not very much. I think we'll we'll get over the line against Munster, and that's. Uh, I think that will be a huge achievement, um, just because of our, the, sort of where both sides are at, uh, where they're at mentally. I think that will do do us the world of good in terms of confidence. But yeah, I think we'll get over the line against Munster. You can come back and quote me on that and rub it in whenever it doesn't come true. <laughs> well, half the reason that it's good to get a opposing opinion in preview is if you do happen to lose, and if Munster lose, at least we don't. Have, we're not listening to you next week after you win. Not that <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't be magnanimous, but you know, I've been. <laughs> I was on your podcast last week after you won in Tolman Park, and I would have expected even more of a, a rubbing it in factor. <laughs> I think I, I keep going back and forth on it. I hear journalists and pundits saying that Munster should win, and I hear you know the likes of yourself and my even my own internal thoughts saying. Ulster should win. I really don't know which way to go. I do think Ulster need a performance, though. Um, mm. 
as much as Munster will, will want one and will demand one like they always do, Ulster really, really need it, I feel, because they go into a couple of games. They've got, I think they've both Edinburgh and Glasgow in their next three or four games. And you don't want yeah. to be going into that, especially Glasgow, a team they no-showed against last year to a yeah. degree. You don't yeah. want to be going into those games on the back foot because they're potentially, you know, if, if Ulster... As some people predict, if they're to fall to kind of the second four teams of the playoffs, for instance, they're the teams you have to be beaten. And yeah. Munster at home is a team you have to win. You have to win your home interpros. I'll. <laughs> I don't have another Munster fan here with me to to talk me down or to because I feel like I, I have a duty. Um, go on, go, go on, go on, Sailster. <laughs> I think I will just because yeah. of the. The existential dread that just lingers <laughs> over playing in Ravenhill. Now, I still will. I'll never forget when Ben Healy scored that try last year. <laughs> as long as I live, it was it was incredible win. But snatch and grab at its best. But I just think they badly need a performance. And to their credit, when Ulster have needed a performance in recent years, they've got it. You think back to the Stormers game last year mm-hmm. being won. It's almost been when they've been when everyone's tipping them to win that they've had their their poorest showings. Again, yeah. that URC yeah. quarterfinal against Connacht's a great example. No one gave Connacht a chance. Ulster just didn't show up. You know, they had one foot on the plane to Cape Town before I, they got there. Absolutely. Look, that, that's, I remember look, I'd be a football fan as well. And Alex Ferguson used to do this thing. He would turn, he would take a great United team and he'd almost have them believing that the world was against them, that they had no chance. Everyone was was slagging them off and saying they're going to lose and the referees were against them, the crowds were against them. And that's sort of a good position to, to be in, a good a good headspace to be in going into a game, feeling that the world's against you and you're going to prove them wrong. Whereas, as, as you rightly say, like that Connacht game, I think fans were like, here, it's only Connacht, Connacht at home, be grand and turn it not to be. And a bit like Ireland, maybe sometimes we don't fit that uh, favourites label too well. I suppose the, the flip side of it is if there's ever a team who embodies the siege mentality, or maybe not even a team, a fan base who embodies the siege mentality, it would be ourselves, yeah. Town of Munster. So <laughs> maybe, this, maybe it takes two to tango in this particular <laughs> instance. And maybe that's why Munster-Ulster games are, are so hard to call every time. Yeah, Peter. Thanks very much for for coming on tonight to to give us an Ulster perspective on things, and hopefully, the next time you're on, we'll have a we'll have the bragging rights. Um, <laughs> over. Um, but that's all we have time for for tonight, everyone. Again, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week. We'll look back on this Ulster game. Hopefully, a first interpro win of the season, and preview. This this sounds good to say. A repeat of the URC final when the Stormers come to town to Thomond. Um, so we'll be looking ahead to that. As always, if you want to follow us every step of the way across the season, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Twitter at the Red Army Pod, and until next time, take it easy, folks.